Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, Ireland opens its doors to 200,000 refugees. There were moments it was a little awkward at first. You know, meeting a stranger who's going to move into your house, there's, there's no doubt that's an unusual situation. The war on Ukraine started a month ago today. Since then, more than 3.6 million refugees have already left the country. Initially, the Irish government said it expected up to 20,000 refugees to arrive here. Now that number has increased tenfold. There are plans to change planning laws to fast-track accommodation, Garda vetting is to be sped up and school places are being sought. So what we're seeing in the course of a few weeks is effectively a 1% increase in our population. It's not going to be possible to provide uh, what we'd like to provide. This is going to be a very difficult crisis to deal with. Tánis de Leo Varadkar and Higher Education Minister Simon Harris are among the thousands who have signed up to take refugees into their homes. But how will it all work? I'm Kevin Doyle, and today I'm joined by Irish independent political editor Philip Ryan to talk us through the plan to provide 100,000 welcomes to 200,000 refugees. But first, I talk to Eleanor Farrell and Matt London, who have already taken in Ukrainians who have fled Putin's war. Eleanor Farrell, for you, it was a relatively easy decision to take in refugees coming from the Ukraine. You're one of the first in the country to do it. What, what was it like? Well, as you say, it was a very, very easy decision for us. We'd been following the news in Ukraine quite closely. And as a family, we're very focused on social impact. I do a lot of work in the not-for-profit sector myself. And my husband has been very involved in crisis management in his day job related to the Ukraine-Russia war. So we were very aware of the details. And when we saw the number of people who were being displaced early on in the war, immediately said, look, we can open up our house, we can take a family in, we have a spare room, we have other resources that we can share, it's the right thing to do. And so you are hosting a mother and her 10-year-old daughter um, since the 12th of March, so a couple of weeks now. How did you get paired uh, with, with that woman and her daughter? Well, we went through a couple of stages, Kevin. At first, like many others, we registered with the, the Red Cross, And then we realized after a few days that that process was taking some time, thanks to the generosity of the Irish people and the thousands who registered. I came across on Twitter a thread of supporting Ukrainians arriving in Ireland. And through that, I came across 
an organization called Ireland Help Ukraine. The website is www.irelandhelpukraine.com. That was set up by a Ukrainian guy called Anton living in Ireland. And what they were doing at the time was putting short-term placements in family homes for Ukrainians who arrived in Dublin airport, in some cases even identifying the placement before they left Ukraine. We reached out to them thinking that we would find a short-term match as we waited for a longer-term Red Cross placement to come through. We were connected with this family. They moved in with us on Saturday 12th, the day or two after they arrived in Ireland. And by Monday, we already had a school place sorted. It turned out that their their daughter and my daughter get on really well together. We've got a local GP for them now. We've got PPS set up. And they've settled in really well, so we've made a commitment to them. They can now stay with us for that 6 to 12 month time frame that we'd originally anticipated doing anyway. It was a very easy matching process. I just needed to send a, a WhatsApp to Keith, who's a member of the group, share what facilities I had available. He suggested a family for us to meet and we were happy to do that. And what was it like that first meeting or even those first even 48 hours? Because it's not like running a and b where you've brought somebody in and you give them a room and you'll put a bit of breakfast on the table. These people are going to live with you. They're going to share your house. They're going to share your space. They're going to start to learn everything there is to learn about your family, how you and your husband get on, what, who does the dishes, all that sort of stuff. There were moments it was a little awkward at first. You know, meeting a stranger who's going to move into your house, there's there's no doubt that's an unusual situation. We were as open as we could be. There is great support available through Ireland Help Ukraine and a, and a guide for hosts about how to approach this. One of the suggestions that practically we found really great is once they'd moved into the house, had a, a cup of tea, we walked with them to our, our local shop so they knew where to buy food bought food together and we cooked together with the kids for that evening. Now, it was very simple. It was something that kids like. We got pizza bases and a variety of toppings and then everybody just made food, cooked and and ate it together. And it's those little gestures, I think, that make people feel welcome. We also did practical things like giving them a tour of the house. We showed them the room they'd be in, gave them a couple of options for how to set it up. Do you want a second bed? Do you want a desk? All of those kind of things. I think it's important to make sure that many people traveling who've had very traumatic experiences, you know, dealing with immediate needs like safety and and accommodation and food is really important. But also it's important that people feel that they have agency and they can make decisions as much as possible. So we tried to set things up quickly that the freedom of the house, we'll provide the resources, we'll pay for anything. In our case, we were able to pay for anything that they, they needed and didn't have. But within that, you make your own decision about the pace you want to move at. So it was very much asking them, would you like some quiet time? Would you like to come out and we can show you Dublin? What works for you? And we were very lucky. It clicked very quickly for us. And has there been a language barrier at all? Very little. Uh, Again, another way that we were lucky, we were prepared to use Google Translate. And there's a few other apps that'll do live translation into either Ukrainian or Russian. Because about a third of the population of Ukraine actually speak Russian as a first language. And as it turns out, the mother moving in with us is fairly good English. Daughter a bit less so, but at age 10, there's a lot of flexibility. So we've had to use Google Translate or dictionaries a couple of times, but we've been able to to make do without that, which has helped a little bit, particularly 
also with some of the form filling that comes inevitably when people move to a new country at short notice. You mentioned the girl who moved in with you is 10 years old. Your own little girl is eight. So how are they getting on? Oh, they're getting on brilliantly. Uh, It's been fantastic, actually. My daughter has been an only child all of her life. And that's, that's fine. That's how we planned it. But actually seeing how open she is has been great. We checked with her before we asked the family to move in. We had talked to her in age-appropriate ways about the war and we talked about the people who had to leave their homes suddenly and that we'd like to find a way to help. And she was able, even though only eight, to take a deep breath and say to us, I think we should ask somebody if they want to live here. So she's been open and included from the beginning and the kids are having great fun together, running around, playing hide-and-seek, playing Minecraft. The girl who moved in with us loves playing Minecraft. My daughter loves watching her play Minecraft, so that's a match made in heaven. And it's been great to see them. It's also been really good for the the 10-year-old who's moved in with us to have a school place. We have a a place in St. Enda School, um, just off Anger Street in Dublin. Fantastic school with a really warm and welcoming principal. It's very multicultural as well. And that's really helped the 10-year-old settle in and just feel happy and start laughing and start making friends again. And what about the mother then? Uh, presumably, I know the state are helping out, but you mentioned getting a PPS number and all the rest of it. So is there potential that she could possibly go to work here, uh, that, that she can start to build her own life so that she be, ultimately becomes less dependent on you, I guess? That's what she would like to do. I think it all comes back to that agency or that independence. I think the, the setup for Ukrainians arriving here has been really smooth, very impressive. Getting a A PPS just took an hour on Wednesday after she arrived with us. She absolutely would like to work in Ireland, become more independent, have her own place. There there are priorities she's working through. First priority for her was school place for her daughter. Next is getting medical care set up in case it's needed. It's not right now, but she wants to have that backup. She is actually still working with a company in Ukraine, which isn't something I had anticipated when a family moved in. So we had to order a desk, which is on its way to us now to help her do that. Remote working, doing an administration role. She's not sure how long that will last practically because it's very challenging for most companies in Ukraine to operate at the moment, as I'm sure you understand. Also, she anticipates being in Ireland for a while. I don't think she views it as feasible for her to go back to Ukraine in the very short term. It's likely she'll need to look for a role in Ireland because Ukraine is a very low-wage economy versus Ireland. She wouldn't be able to afford to live independently in Ireland based on what she might earn in Ukraine. So she will be going through that process once she gets all of the other stages set up to support herself and her daughter. And finally, Eleanor, I mean, you are committing to six to 12 months of hosting a family. It's it's no small commitment um, and I suppose after to say it's going good after three weeks is is or, or less is great but as you look on and you start to think about you know your own summer holidays Christmas all these events now that you are going to share with with this family it's a huge commitment it is in one way but it's also a huge opportunity for us to really enrich our lives and feel like we're doing something to help you know the practicalities of how holidays and the like might work. You know, I'm very happy to leave uh, this family in the house if we're going away. We won't necessarily bring them with us in every family holiday. 
but we are going to my in-laws at Easter for a couple of days and we've already found a place that they can stay if they choose to come with us. But it will be very much their choice. This is, we're going to Adair, so it's not that far away. Up to them what they want to do. We want to include them as much as possible, but they're not just going to want to be with us. They're going to want to set up their own independent lives and form their own community. So we're trying to support them to find that balance. But very happy to include them in what we're doing for as long as they want to be included. Matt Lunson, you and your wife Debbie decided about two weeks ago that you were going to host a refugee from the Ukraine. How did that thought process take place or how did you reach that decision? Um, so Debbie's actually, a, she, look, she's an artist and she's been working over the last um, few years with uh, an organisation called the Scoop Foundation and they've been really active helping the refugee situation in Syria and each year they hold an online art auction and she has been donating paintings each year and has de- developed a relationship with them and when the war broke out in Ukraine, they literally went straight to Ukraine and started helping on the ground at the border and, and started connecting people to, to families in Ireland. And so for us, it was a it was a very quick and easy decision. Um, I think we're all shocked by the, the initial events. Um, my own grandmother fled Lithuania after the Second World War when Stalin invaded and my mum was born in a refugee camp in Germany. So there was just, there was no question, no decision. We have an attic space and we're more than happy to help. So how does one go about finding somebody to take into your home then? So look, there's a variety of ways um, and it's a really evolving situation. Again, for us, it was it was directly through the Scoop Foundation. Now the primary way is for people to register through the Red Cross and they're, you know, they're, they're working, you know, with uh, I suppose a few sort of smaller kind of organisations as well to kind of coordinate the whole thing. Um, but you can also, uh, you can register, there's a website, Ireland Help Ukraine, and that's where you can register your interest um, through this community that, you know, that we've become really closely involved in um, as well, if you if you want to help, you know, welcome people into your home. And so in your own case, Matt, you uh, got a, a woman from Kiev who is now staying with you. How has that gone or how has the adjustment process been for both you and for her? Yeah, look, it's it, it's a it's a day at a time. It really is. I, I think the biggest thing for for Maya, um, first of all, we, we're fortunate. I think, and she's fortunate. Probably more importantly, that she she's fluent in English. She's lived and grown up in city centre Kiev. She's got quite a Western outlook on on life on her life within within Ukraine. She's worked for multinational companies. She's a programmer, software developer. Um, so it was easy for her, first of all, to make contact with Scoop and to navigate the travel. But, you know, she's she's deeply in shock and, and traumatised. She sat in her apartment for four days listening to bombs explode around her while she made that decision with her family and her co-workers. So I think more than anything, you know, we've provided obviously just you know, comfort, a few laughs, shelter, um, and lots of distraction. And, and actually, Paddy's Day came at a great time because we got to go out and just sort of, you know, be, a, uh, you know, amongst a bunch of friends. And so, you know, she's starting to think about her future, you know, here, because obviously there's so much uncertainty. Um, so it's just different every day. And and then for a lot of other families, you know, there's the, the barrier and the challenge of English, but there's incredible supports that are popping up to support people for all the different things that they need, whether it's kids in schools, translation services, English language courses over Zoom. It's been quite phenomenal. 
how quickly everything's evolved. Uh, as I think the people that are coming here, their needs are evolving. Accommodation was the first need, and now their needs are evolving, and so the community's response to that is evolving as well. You say me as a software developer, and obviously pretty well qualified. So has she taught about trying to find a job here or what? How, how, how yeah. you start to build, I suppose, all those things that we kind of take for granted in terms of a friendship circle, uh, employment, your own independence, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And look, you know, there are, there, she, there, there was a meetup in Stevens Green on on the weekend. It was just sort of spontaneously happened and and, and we went along and, and actually a, a, a good few of the people were there were people who already were living in Dublin, working for maybe Facebook, Google, Twitter, et cetera, because Ukraine is actually quite a hotspot for IT development, programming, software, that kind of thing. And so she is, you know, she she is, you know, she's still employed by by a company, but um, you know, there's challenges there. There's obviously they're not functioning as an organisation. So she's, like, I think a lot of people, she's considering all of all of her options, short, mid, and long term, because obviously, we've no idea how long you know this situation might go on for. So it's all on the table, I guess. And that's another question, really, is we don't know how long this will go on for. So how long mm. are you and Debbie? willing or able to have somebody else stay in your home? We haven't thought about that, to be honest. We, and we certainly didn't think about it at the time. It was a really instinctive decision, as long as she needs, you know, fundamentally. Um, and, you know, we, we've, we've faced that, you know, as as her life develops and, you know, look, best case scenario, there's some type of peace agreement at some point in the in the, in the the future and people can start to actually consider the possibility of returning to Ukraine. Um, but yeah, we just haven't thought about that at, at this stage. Um, you know, there we also were confident that at such a time that it's appropriate for, you know, for, for my, to, whether it's living in Dublin or moving into, she's already started talking about, you know, you know, finding her own accommodation and there's other people that she knows that's, that are on their way as well to Dublin because she's having a, great, a good experience and um, we just sort of trust that that will work itself Has out. she left family behind or are there other people here? Yep. Yeah, so all, all the men in her life. Um, so um, boyfriend, father, grandfather um, are all in either Kiev or Kharkiv or they've moved to the countryside um, to safer kind of more rural areas. Philip Ryan, political editor with the Irish Independent. We're talking about 200,000 refugees now. Three weeks ago, that figure was only 20,000. Then it became 100,000. I mean, these are huge numbers. Like by comparison, the population of Cork is only around 125,000. So this is the equivalent of a city much bigger than Cork. Where are all these numbers coming from or what are they built on? Well, the reality is no one really knows it for the time being. We know that there's just over 10,000 have arrived here and are being accommodated in various places, mostly hotels. Other places are being looked at. We expect at least uh, double that and maybe up to 40,000 by the end of April. That is the figure that the most immediate figure they were working on. Um, Tonishly of Radker raised that figure in the Doyle. He, he described it as a 1% increase in our population within the space of two months, which is a huge, huge endeavour uh, to try uh, house Roderick O'Gorman, the children's minister who's taking a lead on this, he suggests it could be 68,000. And then there's the 200,000 figure. Charlie McConnell said that on Morning Ireland. And essentially what these figures are based on is that we've signed up to an EU uh, protocol directive emergency measures to accept Ukrainian refugees into the country and treat them as um, uh, almost as citizens, not, not entirely, is that we will take 2% 
of all uh, Ukrainians who leave the country who flee due to the war. And if 10 million who are displaced, not haven't left just yet, but there's 10 million displaced, so 2% of that is 200,000. So will all those people come here? We don't know yet. Um, if they do, it's going to be a huge effort to house them all. Okay, but it is essentially up to them to get here. It's not as if we are going over and picking up a quota or an allocation people will arrive of their own means or through humanita- humanitarian convoys or maybe be placed by the Red Cross. But it's not, there, is, there isn't 200,000 people that are ready and being given a, a, a ticket or a flag and said, you're going to Ireland. No, people haven't been earmarked, but it's, it, this is the capacity that we've signed up to. So if people are coming here in all sorts of ways, they're coming through the airports, Dublin, Cork. There's been a, a big increase of people coming through um, Rosslare Harbour now um, since um, in recent weeks because it's difficult to get tickets. Um, so look, that it depends. People have to make their own way. They have to come here. Then they have to go through the various uh, checks and balances and uh, the, the authorities will and, deal with and, them. And you and mentioned them. capacity, and I think that's mm-hmm. the big question for a lot of people: is how are we going to house that many people, provide school places for that many people, and like even things like I, I, I know they are very glad to be getting PPS numbers and therefore getting into the system, if you like, very mm-hmm. quickly. But it's it's quite easy to give out a PPS number versus actually finding a suitable job or employment here. There was that old phrase from uh, Kevin Costner film, Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. Well, this is the opposite to that. If they come, we will build it. Is that it, as many people as possible are coming here and every avenue has been looked at on how to deal with this. Pe- de- uh, people arriving, these refugees are not going to be given homes. They're not going to be living in apartments in the IFSC or wherever else in, around the country. They will be given accommodation. Um, the things that people are looking at is uh, converting state-owned buildings, um, looking looking at uh, homes that have been offered up by people who have vacant properties that may may be suitable for living in um, and or may need work to be done on. So that'll be looked at. There's also this big, uh, the generosity shown by the Irish public through the Red Cross um, uh, service where you can sign up and offer people a home. So that, like, there's a big, there's going to be a big reliance on that. And look, they don't know really. You know, they don't know what they're doing here to a large extent. And and it is, it and is the government. So the government are effectively making it up as they go along to some extent, using a lot of the COVID money there that we have mm. in the back pocket, uh, in hoping that we don't need it. Although with the the recent figures, you couldn't be sure. Um, but there are some questions now coming about if they can do this, or at least they're promising to do so much for this many people. There. Homeless figures have been in around 10,000 for several years now. How could they not have housed 10,000 homeless people or solved the housing list? Um, Or indeed, I imagine that many people in direct provision who have been there for five, six, seven years in the hope of getting a PPS number or a bit of freedom and independence, but are stuck in that system, must all be looking on and going, "What, what about us? Well, that's a fair point, and I think what, what especially the people in the direct provision um, centre will be wondering is why they're entitled. All these people coming from Ukraine are entitled to all these welfare benefits and are being treated with such urgency. But the reality is that when they get here and when they are accommodated, they're not going to be living in conditions that are far beyond. And direct provision. It will be shared accommodation when it is, if this is if they're converting old barracks, old schools, old guard stations, it'll still be groups of people living together. They won't have 
their own front door and individual catering and shower facilities. It'll be a lot of people sharing. This is a humanitarian crisis. This isn't the housing list. This is looking after people who are fleeing a war zone. There's, there's no promise that like I said earlier, that you're going to get your apartment and your front door and your little garden, things like that. This will, You will have a roof over your head, you will have access to services, you will have access to education and you will have welfare benefits. But I don't think it is fair to say or to compare what, what these people will receive to what someone on the housing list will receive. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Mark Donlan and Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.